Yo, you got me? Yeah, Ryan. Sounds like you're there. Hello, Michael. Hello, Ryan. Hello. What, what are we Wait, doing yeah, here? We did that all backwards. I was, I was like, expecting another test. Let's start over. Go ahead, Mike. Ryan, are you there? Hello, Michael. Hello, Internet. Hello, world. Hello, worldwide Internet. Welcome to another edition of the Buck and Sack Show. I'm Michael Sachs in Richmond, Virginia. Ryan Buckley, you're in Portland, Oregon. Ryan, it's been so long since I talked to you. How are you doing? I am well. Uh, yeah, clearly we're out of rhythm here, but um, yeah. I'm doing well. I'm, <laughs> I am thrilled. I almost could have made it my good of the week, but I am thrilled that daylight savings, uh, that we have jumped ahead and that the nights are going to start to be longer here. Yeah. Big, big fan of that change. And uh, overall, doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Um, spring has sprung to some extent here in central Virginia. It was very warm last week and now not so much. Um, my son and I, I'm coaching my six-year-old's uh, Little League team, and we had our first practice tonight, and it was damp, and the kids were out there shivering, and it wasn't great baseball weather. But you know what? The tides are tough, and we forged through. There you go. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've got a really tough bunch of six- and seven-year-olds out there, but I'm doing well. Um, you know, let's just get right into it. It's, as I said, a long time since we talked but a lot to talk about now on the sporting calendar and beyond. And both of our Good of the Week, no surprise, March Madness, take it away. Yeah, March Madness. And I will say that, I, that this year I've probably watched less football than I have in any other year in recent memory. Um, I'm right and, there and, with you, totally. And, it, and it's really fallen off for me. Um, and, you know, I don't def, definitely not – this isn't about like bashing the game or whatever, but I've just become such a more uh, big fan of NBA in the regular season than yep. college. But that being said, this is still my favorite sporting event Much or how little I know about these teams, regardless of my uh, my level of investment personally, which this year uh, get to have that because that my my ducks are, in fact, in the field. Yes, they but are. Uh, but overall, I just I, I love the institution of the NCAA tournament. I love the upsets that are bound to happen. It's uh, probably going to be uh, kind of a weird year anyways. I know that the schedule's a little bit different this year than we've yep. had. I'm always excited for this weekend upcoming um, specifically, and that's no different regardless of uh, whether I've been following it closely or not. Yeah, it's been two years since we've had a bracket in front of us and a full slate of tournament games ahead of us as we do now. I mean, obviously, the big shutdown... Uh, it's the year anniversary, however you want it. Yeah, it's a few days past, I guess, the year anniversary of when COVID really shut everything down here in America. And it was right before the brackets came out, just a few days a year ago. And it was the first sporting event that was canceled. And, you know, we got pretty much, if not everything else, back at some point. But we haven't seen March Madness in two years. So, I'm really fired up for it, Ryan. I like you. I mean, I'm in the exact same boat. I watched by far less college basketball this season than ever before. We've detailed the reasons, but now that it's here, I'm as excited as ever. It's honestly like while I'm sitting around during the day working, it's hard not to just look at the Ken Palm rankings or listen to another podcast about the tournament or look at my bracket again or look at the point spreads on, you know, now we've got, like you do, live betting, not live, but live, yes, but legal betting in Virginia. So it's like hard not to look at point spreads. I'm just 
fired up. I'm trying to figure out and plan how I'm going to get away from my kids as much as I can this weekend to watch the games. I've got a birthday party I've got to go to uh, but very, and work, of course, on Friday. But to your point, no Thursday games this year, which I think is weird. It starts Friday. It goes to Monday. I'm really interested to see how it plays on Monday. I think it's going to be not great. You know, I think it, I also think that a lot of people don't even know that there's no game. Well, there are some, the first fours on Thursday, but there's not a full slate. I think a lot of people are going to be surprised when Thursday (laughs) rolls around and there's no games. But just in general, I'm really fired up. I think it's a great field. You don't have some of the, the, the quote unquote blue bloods, obviously Duke Mm -hmm. and Kentucky or the headliners of that that are not in the field, but that doesn't really make any difference to me. Uh, my team, the Cuse, barely got in. I'm still not sure how they got in, but they did, so I'm happy about that. Uh, but I'm just very, very, very fired up. And I, like you, I think this is the best sporting event of the year every year. It, you know, it, mm-hmm. There are other great sporting events, but just as a singular you know, three weekends in a row of just wall-to-wall excitement, particularly that this first weekend, it doesn't get any better than this for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm 100% with you. I, I think that also, I mean, I think there is a difference when there is a little bit of a vibe locally going on too. And for um, for us here in the in the Portland area, it's the first time ever that the Oregon and Oregon State men and women, all four are in the field simultaneously. Oh, cool. So everyone's kind of got some sort of an interest in like as and, you know, personally, as you know, you you get to you know, you've got to cover a lot of championship runs and really great teams um, through um, your past career as a, as a television producer. Yeah. And, uh, and and this I've been now on this Oregon State run uh, with my job up here and uh, because of the fact it was unexpected and it was really an underdog type deal, um, it's kind of it's injected a lot of life into the uh, into the sports scene here. Everyone was expecting the Ducks to get in, and that's great. But the Oregon State run was a uh, was a really cool one, and, uh, and now I'm excited to see if they can uh, knock off uh, UT. That would be the University of Tennessee. Yeah, uh, Wayne Tinkle is the head coach of the Beavers. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, so a great run by them. Why don't we go ahead and pick it here? You know, who do you have right now as we sit here on Tuesday, March 16th? Some like to call it St. Patrick's Day Eve. I don't, but some do. Um, <laughs> uh, who's, who do you have in the Final Four? Who do you have cut down the nets? Uh, well, hold on one second because I did just have the image of my bracket up and then I lost the tab. So I'll go ahead and give mine while you while live radio folks, you, uh, live podcast, fumble around your computer. So yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm honestly having a really hard time picking a winner of this thing. Um, mm-hmm. you know, for me, college basketball is as much a, a coach's sport as any sport for the simple fact that it's the coaches that remain. Obviously the players come and go And when I try to prognosticate this tournament, I really like to focus in on the coaches and sort of the coaching history, both of the tournament and the coaches themselves. And I go back and I look at the the list over, say, the last 25 years of coaches and teams to win a national championship. And it's really a who's who of college basketball legends. Um, You know, going back, if you want to go back, say, to 96, when Rick Pitino 
led the Kentucky Wildcats to the championship. And just I'm just going to go down the list from 96. These are the coaches that won. Patino, Lou Olson, Tubby Smith, Jim Calhoun, Tom Izzo, Coach K, Gary Williams, Jim Beheim, Calhoun again, Roy Williams, Billy Donovan, and the Gators went back-to-back. Bill Self broke through, Roy Williams again, uh, Coach K again, Calhoun again, Calipari shows up with Kentucky, then Patino takes Louisville to the championship. And then the one name on here that sort of sticks out is Kevin Alt, who led Mm. UConn in 2014 to that weird championship. Uh, The seven versus eight championship, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. And, And what many consider to be sort of one of the more lackluster tournaments of all time. But then... The year after that is Coach K, then Jay Wright and Villanova finally break through. Roy Williams wins his third with the Tar Heels, Jay Wright again. And then Tony Bennett takes the Wahoos to their first ever championship. So really, you know, you had a couple instances of coaches that it was a long time coming, most notably Bennett and and Jay Wright. But Kevin Ollie's the one name that sticks out. So to me, when I look at all of this, it says to me like, which coach, you know, which legendary coach is going to win a second or, you know, who, who is already sort of a Hall of Fame caliber coach that has yet to win their first? The name that most immediately jumps up to mind that fits that bill is Mark Few at Gonzaga. But, yep. but after that, I'm having a hard time. I mean, you look at the, at, these, at the other coaches of these top teams. I don't think, in my mind, I don't think Scott Drew is a national championship caliber coach. I mean, I can barely even name the head coach at Illinois. I know it's, it's Brad Underwood, but he hasn't had a, a, any kind of great career. You know, Juwan Howard's only in his second year at Michigan. Uh, you know, Kelvin Sampson uh, at Houston. Uh, hold on, I'm just going to bring it up. Who are some of the other two seeds? Alabama, Nate Oates, he's not ready to win a national championship. Ohio State, their coach, he's not ready to win a national championship. I don't think Fran McCaffrey... And Iowa is a national championship caliber coach. So you sort of... I mean, the thing is, if you go across the board, really in most sports, finding a top-level, top-notch guy like that who's like, yeah, that guy, I could expect to to pull this off at any time. Those guys are hard to find. Yeah, and and to that point, I mean, you go back, it, it, it does sort of go in that, in across sports. But I think college basketball in particular, I'm not... You know, obviously, this isn't any sort of scientific study. But what I'm getting at here is I just don't think that there's, I mean, yes, Gonzaga is a clear favorite. But do, do you really think that they're going to just go undefeated and win this national championship, Ryan? Because I don't. I, I, You know what? I'm leaning more towards yes. Not okay. because I think that there aren't teams that could tend that there aren't teams that can contend with them. I think that there are teams that can contend with them, but I think they might be that good. I think they might be that much better than the other teams that they have been playing. And if they just keep, I don't want to say if they just keep playing the way they've been playing, it's not that easy. Um, they haven't gone through much of a gauntlet, but in such of a, such a funky year, I am kind of getting a positive Gonzaga vibe. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I do think that there are teams certainly within their pod that have uh, enough athletic talent to be able to run with them. Um, you know, you look at a team like Kansas who could potentially face them in an elite eight matchup ravaged uh, by COVID, by the way. True. Although uh, we're not, we're not really sure to what extent at this point. And, I mean, USC Same with in that Virginia. bracket too. They've got some, some pro level players. You've got Virginia who is notorious for giving people fits. Um, 
so I, I don't know. I'm not saying that it's going to be some easy road, but I don't know that I really see a, a super clear one that I love for, for somebody else for that. I don't either. So, yeah. So that's, that's why I guess I I'm picking Gonzaga by default is what I'm really saying. I've got and that's Gonzaga. where I'm leading too. I don't. I don't have have a really strong lead, or lean. Excuse me. Out outside of them, I, w- I wish I did. Um, I, I do like Michigan's makeup quite a bit. Um, but uh, you, you talked about coaches not being ready. I don't know if Jaw- Jawan Howard's ready. I don't know if he's there. I don't yet. think he is. And you know they lost their top defender as well. I think his name is Liver. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, my final four. Not that anyone really cares, but I'm going to give it out anyway. Gonzaga, no, we're going to do it. Gonzaga over Florida State, and then a rematch of that great overtime Big Ten championship. I'll go with Illinois over Ohio State, and the Zags taking down the Illini. But, you know, I'm not going to be surprised if the Illini don't make it to the Final Four at all. You know, I think they've had a really great year. I just, I don't know. They, they don't completely blow me away. It's just so, as we know, it's so hard to predict. I mean, Pretending like you know anything is <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, I listen to all these podcasts and all these guys on TV. I mean, you know, and a quote-unquote expert can, can come out and give you a few more facts than we're giving you. But at the end of the day, the reason we like this tournament so much is because of its unpredictability and because of just the sheer volume of games that you get to watch. You know, 16 on the first day, 16 on the second day eight on the third day, eight on the fourth day. That's really what makes us love it. And it's nobody has a damn clue what's going to happen, and that's why we want to watch. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's essentially throwing darts for everybody, and, uh, right. and it's totally unpredictable. I think if I had to rattle off my final four right now, it would include Gonzaga. Um, I think that in the, let's see, I guess it's the, the south region, um, Man, Baylor has looked really good, real like all year long. I mean, I, I like what Ohio State has done recently, but not enough to pick them here. I think I don't know that Baylor is one of the top one seeds, but I think that that region maybe I don't want to say is the softest, but might be the easiest to get through. So I'll go Gonzaga and Baylor. Um, I'm going to take West Virginia out of the Midwest. Okay. I'm not sure. I believe Huggy in Bear? Houston or Huggy Bear. Yeah, you talk about coaches with experience who've been there, and uh, you know whether you want to call them Press Virginia. I, I know that they've had. Uh, he's had his years where they've had really good teams, even when he's been at other places and and uh, and not been successful. But I think he can coach. I think he's maybe ready to take him on one of those runs. And so I'll say uh, we'll see West Virginia um, from the Midwest and then from the East. I, I, I got to be honest. I haven't seen a ton of SEC basketball this year, but I have seen Alabama a few times. What do you think of the Tide? I kind of like them. They're really fucking good. Um, yeah, I, I'm tempted yeah. to pick them coming out of the East. Yeah, I mean, they won the SEC regular season and the SEC tournament. The SEC was really good with the exception that Kentucky was way down. I mean, if Kentucky had had sort of a normal Kentucky year, I think a lot more people would be paying attention to the conference at large. I think it's a really good conference. I mean, when we talk about what we watched, I watched you know nearly every single Syracuse game. I watched a fair amount of Alabama and then I would tune into UVA on occasion, you know, if I was watching with a friend. A lot of my friends here in Richmond went to UVA. So, you know, I would get together on occasion and, and watch with them. But that that's it. I didn't really watch. I don't think until the conference tournament I saw a single Big Ten game, a single Pac-12 game, or a single Big 12 game. Like, zero. So, <laughs> that that's where I'm at. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um... 
our knowledge is proven to be uh, maybe lacking. Well, not proven yet. Who knows? We might be picking aces over here. But yeah. um, we haven't done our homework maybe the so way we have in years who are you taking? Who are you taking in the East? Oh, who am I taking? I'm going to yeah. take I'll, – I'll take Alabama. I'll take your boys. Okay. So you're going Bama, So And then I'll Zags. take Gonzaga over Bama. I'll take West Virginia over Baylor. Gonzaga over West Virginia. Good friends, Huggy Bear and Mark Few. Is that right? I did not know that. Yeah, and they met in uh, the only time that Few went to the Final Four. He beat Huggy Bear in West Virginia in the Elite Eight in, in a game in San Jose that I was at. So I, I just remember that. But uh, yeah, okay. So we both got the Zags to cut down the net. But, you know. And don't feel great matters. about it. I just cannot <laughs> wait to watch some ball on Friday and Saturday in particular. I'm just, I'm chomping at the bit. I really am. Yes, sir. What's your bat of the week? Uh, my bat of the week is, I mean, I know we, we kind of touched on this when the Super Bowl came up as it being like the first full year of sports calendar of yeah. uh, kind of. Which I think was the last of, time of, we spoke. Yes. Um, and, and but we were I was talking about how the sports calendar kind of came full circle with COVID. Well, now that we're back to March Madness, which we never got last year. Um, that it kind of completes another cycle, so to speak. And I guess it, this is really has less to do with sports, but I got the opportunity to go uh, just see a couple friends that I hadn't seen uh, in over a year outside for beers over the weekend. And yeah. it was just, it's, it's good and refreshing. And, you know, frankly, we've been able to do that here for a while outdoors, but it just, it kind of further like reminded me and like fortified just how like siloed all of us have been for so long, because, you know, these were both people who aren't in my super close immediate circle. They weren't guys that, um, I would regularly, you know, go golfing with or, um, go catch a game with or whatever, but people I would see more frequently in a non pandemic time. And so I kind of had this epiphany that that sucks. And it's like, it feels like our very tight circles have grown closer and stronger, but that our kind of more distant widespread social circles have really dissipated. And that's kind of a bummer, like the, the more casual social interactions that we've had as people have kind of been forced to create their own bubbles and, uh, and and things like that. And now that, I mean, it has less to do with the, you know, the, the la the year anniversary of, of any of that losing March madness or, um, not really being able to go out and do stuff or whatever, but, you know, I was just, I just think about the kind of effect that it has had on us socially over, uh, the last year or so. And obviously they're just, you know, they're, there's been a tremendous amount of stress for everybody over, um, a, a, a lot of the stuff that has been, going on um that it's pandemic related and and fallout from it whether it's people's work stuff whether it's political things whether it's uh you know whether it's family health and and things like that there's just there's so much that has been packaged up into it you know parents trying to figure out daycare for their kids and and you know all the stuff that I know um you know people like yourself who have kids have had to go through and had to figure out and it's just it's it's been really i think trying emotionally from a social perspective because we haven't had those same outlets and it was just like i mean i guess it's a good of the week that it's good to get out and and, and get beers with old friends but the bad of the week was kind of the realization that i haven't really been having these casual beers or even these casual conversations with with uh, people that ordinarily i'd see more frequently yeah i mean everything you said just rings really true for me in fact just last night i was kind of in a little bit of a bummed out mood kind of over Pretty much exactly what you're talking about. Just how, uh, you know, just talking with my wife about how I haven't done a whole lot. I mean, you know, I feel like in the fall, 
when the weather, you know, when it wasn't so hot and, you know, the fall's always pretty good weather. I feel like I was getting out and doing a little bit more with friends, but then it got really, really cold here and, mm-hmm. you know, the pandemic went pretty bad there, you know, around Christmas and January and, and obviously, you know, and I want to talk a lot about this, but things have gotten a hell of a lot better on the health front. But yeah, it just, I feel like I haven't done much of anything lately outside of, you know, my core four, as I like to call it, mm-hmm. you know, the, the four people that live in my house. And I'm bummed out about it too. And I guess my bad of the week is I am a bit disappointed with sort of, I don't know how to describe it other than to say, I feel like people are sort of clinging to this fear. And I understand why it's there. I understand why it's hard to let go, Ryan. But you, you look at the data that's out there. You look at the how, how many people this country is vaccinated today. You look at the hospitalization numbers and the death rate and the curves and all of that. And, you, and, and I just sort of look at all the, I, I, I've, you know, I've been following this thing really closely for a year. And, and my position on sort of government's role in all of this has changed to where I now think it's time to just sort of stop the restrictions for the most part all over the country. I think it's time for people to be allowed to choose what they want to do. And I know that that's very controversial, but that's my opinion. And I feel that way for a number of reasons. We can get into it, but I'm just, I'm done with it. I don't think it's right for most, if not all of these state governors to continue to tell, you know, businesses that they can't operate or tell people, you know, or for, for schools to be closed or Whatever it is. Now, we can, the, the large gatherings, the concerts, the sporting events, the Broadway musicals and, and the shows in Vegas and things of that, of that, like particularly indoors, I think are tricky. I'm not sure I'm advocating for, you know, 20,000 people to be at the Blazers game tonight. I'm not sure I'm willing to go that far. But I think it's time for these, these elected officials to stop telling people how to live their lives. And I, I just... That's where I'm at. I think it's time for our country, you know, you can use the word reopen or move on or whatever it is. But for me, it, it's more about just giving people the choice of, of what they want to do, where they want to go, who they want to see. Because when we shut all of this down, I mean, this is, I'm not breaking any new ground here, but when I just keep coming back to the fact that when, when everything shut down a year ago, we were told, you know, two weeks to flatten the curve. We don't want the healthcare system to get overrun. We saw what had happened in Italy. We saw what had happened in New York. We didn't want that to happen everywhere else. And by and large, that has not happened everywhere else. Thank God. The death toll is enormous. Uh, there, there's, there's no getting around that. There's no hiding it. It's hideous. It's regrettable. It's terrible. It's sad and it's tragic. But you look at the numbers and the, you know, basically four out of five, every five deaths has been somebody aged for the most part, 70 or older. And I just think it's time for, you know, if you're young and healthy or if you're old and healthy or whatever it is, if you're old and if you're old and unhealthy, I think you should be able to make a decision on how you want to live your life. And that's my bad of the week is these continued and prolonged restrictions now that we've seen here. In some states, it seems like they've got no, no end date on them. You know, they've got all in California, they've got all these tiers and colors and rules and it's constantly changing. I'm just tired of the whole thing. 
I think it's the wrong way to govern. I mean, you, you look at what California's numbers are relative to, say, a state like Florida, who hasn't had the restrictions that California has, and, and, Cal and, and the numbers in terms of death are almost the same. I mean, Florida might even be doing a little better, particularly when you adjust it for age. And I'm just, I think it's time to let people make their own decisions. That's my bad of the week. And I... And I think that we're we're generally getting a lot closer to being there anyways, yeah. considering – I mean, I know we're not there yet, but I think that there's a lot of – and you said clinging to fear. I think that the, gov the, you know, the governing officials are fearful of, of making a, a large shift in their decision and not easing back into it and then seeing some ground swell and everyone pointing the finger at them. I mean, we, we still live in a cover-your-ass society, and I think that – In a litigious um, society. You know, there's – Right, that too, and so like if you basically say this is all fine, and all of a, and then all of a sudden, you know, blowing that blowing up in your face uh, looks a lot worse than you know having the having it rain on the homecoming parade or something like that. So it's you know I, I'm not saying I think it's right. I think I can understand why there's so much caution, especially in the places that they think what they've done is working. Um, but that being said, I, I think we're what we're getting closer to, especially as the vaccine rollout continues, is people being able to have that freedom of choice. And I think that and that that's been difficult to this point. But if like if you have gone to the lengths to protect yourself from this and even, I, guess, I suppose even if you can't, then you can make that choice. The one the one p place where I feel like the people should be able to choose for themselves, like gets murky or complicated and i'll use this example because i think it's a pretty good one like my dad runs a commercial construction company and uh and he he has a you know they they had they employ 200 250 300 people something like that at their uh bay area branch well he basically doesn't want his employees who come and work closely with each other and on like physical manual labor to put other employees at risk and so you know, because he, he says they could be making most of the employees could be making the right choice. But if if one person is going out to you know crowded bars every weekend or, or something like that and they're picking it up and bringing it back to an entire construction crew, then that's a different story. And so it's I, I do think that masking has obviously proven to be incredibly effective. And if you're worried about getting it, then masking while you are around those who aren't is probably just the answer there. But I think that the. The one situation that still concerns me is that people not wanting to be exposed, being forced to be exposed anyways because someone else made their own decision. Yeah. Well, but we're talking about if two that, different things here. I'm talking about governmental restrictions. You're talking about a private business decision. I'm, I'm for putting the decision in the hands of private businesses and taking it out of the hands of elected officials. That's really all I'm saying here. Fair enough. Yeah, no, and I and I I think that that I think that's tough to do. I mean, how do you take it from the elected officials? I, I I'm not you saying you do you're what not Texas right, has but... done. I mean, you do what the Texas governor has done and the Florida governor has done. And well, I mean, but that is the elected official making the decision. But the, but so what I mean, they're you, saying you is all... is now that private citizens have the right to choose how to live their lives, which is really what we've done in America from 1776 to, to a year ago. Oh, sure. I, and and I, don't, I don't disagree with that, but I, I also, if you think 49 states are going to do what Texas did, I think well, that's crazy. I, I'm I don't for think that, that. I don't think there's, there's no I chance. appreciate and respect what Texas has done. I support it. 
I mean, I is it risky? I guess, but I just think that when you you look at these numbers, Ryan, it again you compare Florida to California. We've got a year's worth of data now. It, there, there's really no guessing anymore, and. You know, the mass, I don't want to get in a mass debate. I've been on record. I've been completely pro-mass. I don't see really any reason not to wear the mask. To me, this whole mask being a, a breach of one's personal freedom, that's never really, that, that argument has rung hollow for me. But I do think that the masks are not a panacea the way we once thought they are. I think that there's a lot of data that sort of flies in that face. But moreover, I just think that, we're on the downside of the pandemic. I don't think that there's a tremendous amount of risk of a, of a, of a so-called fourth wave. But you know what? If there is, there is. I mean, people need to get back to being able to make their own choices. And so for me, the only barometer— But if, but so if, but if in six weeks you could have 80% of the population vaccinated— wouldn't it, would it be worth it then to say, okay, six weeks from now we'll open everything up? Yeah, and it, it, I guess so. So I guess— you know, for me, it, it, it comes down to this, and I tweeted it. You know, Joe Biden last Thursday had his big speech, and he said that, what is it, by May 1st, that every adult who wants a vaccine will be able to get one. Now, it's going to take a while to actually vaccinate all those people, but whenever that day arrives to where legitimately every adult who wants this vaccine can get one. Whatever day that is, state by state or locality by locality, that's when all restrictions have to be lifted, in my opinion. I agree. Yeah. And, and you know, this whole, this whole notion that, like, we have to vaccinate everybody or we have to vaccinate 80% or whatever it is, that's bullshit. If people don't want to get the vaccine, then that's on them. We've got three incredibly effective, I mean, just perfect vaccines, three of them. And the supply is going to be so, so much to the point that we're going to have surplus and we're going to be able to give it to other countries, which is great. I don't think that there's a nearly enough respect for how great these vaccines are. I don't think there's nearly enough respect for just how well, you know, the last time we talked around the Super Bowl, you and I, me more than you, were, were just going off on how bad the government was doing of giving these things out. Well, that's changed in a lot of places, in most places. And now they're, you know, what I think it was on Saturday of this past weekend, we, we did over 4 million vaccinations in one day. Mm -hmm. That's going to continue. This is all going yep. super well now. Everything is on track. I, I don't, you know, th this variant thing has so far been proven to kind of not really be real, particularly when it comes to death. But look, you, if we get to a point where hospitals are overcrowded on a local level, then you put the restrictions back in place. But the only barometer to me for any restrictions at this point is just that. If the ICUs and hospitals locally are overcrowded, then you, you force these restrictions. If they're not, you don't. It should be that simple. But to your... Well, and I agree. I, I don't disagree with you. But then I also think about, okay, if they do that, and then they, if they lift all the restrictions, there's no way in hell anyone's going back. So, like, it, it's not the kind of thing where it's like, well, that didn't work. We got to go back to lockdown again. Like, no one's going to stand for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you on that. I do. And I, and I think that that's really what's behind a lot of this sort of hesitation to do what Texas did. Um, but, you know, the other thing is, it's just so... But that's, like, to your point, though, that's not happening. Like, that's not... 
That's not out there happening where people were, where suddenly there are these big spikes where hospitals are it's being not happening. overrun. It, it just, it hasn't been happening for a long time. And that's great. And I guess where I'm at is I want there to be more optimism. I want there to be more appreciation for just this miracle of science that we got. I mean, to get these three yeah. vaccines in such a short period of time, I think that it surpassed everyone's expectation. I just think that it isn't being appreciated enough. And I also think that there's too much hand-wringing over this notion that, you know, a certain part of the population is going to refuse the vaccine and we can't move forward until everyone gets the vaccine. That's ridiculous. Like, once you've gotten the vaccine, you're good. Go out and live your life. I, I just don't understand, really, this just sort of latent fear that so many people seem to have. But you know what? That's okay, too. I'm okay with it so long as the rest of us are allowed to go out and do whatever they want. If, if, you're, if you're not feeling it, if you're still worried, if you want to wait and see, if you've got a certain health condition, whatever it is, it, it doesn't matter. Like Everyone should be able to choose what they want to do here. I'm totally fine with that so long as we actually have a choice. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. All right. Good pandemic talk. And, and I, and I want to say, you know, I really have come around on this whole thing. You know, you, you go back to the first probably five or six months of this. I was very much in the other camp. But I just have continued to follow the data. I've continued to seek out a, a variety of sort of a, a variety of voices. I continue to sort of try to look at it from all angles, not just a health angle. To me, we sort of, as a society, just chase down this narrative that we have to do everything we can to eradicate this disease, and I just think that that's the wrong way to go. So that, that's where I'm at, and, and that's sort of, I don't know, if, if anyone out there is wondering why I've sort of changed my tune on this, I, I, I just feel like it's, you know, I've, I, I've just sort of followed this whole thing and, and see where it's at and, and tried to make good decisions for, for myself and my family as I've gone. And well, that's the thing. I think, I think if you're trying to protect yourself and those around you, and if everyone is going about it with that mindset, then there's, there's no issue with people doing what they believe is safe across the yeah, board. But I do think, and let's end on this. I really do think that, you know, everybody, again, everybody who wants to get a vaccine here is going to be able to get one really soon. I mean, b before Easter, I think it, it it's looking like that, which is just awesome. I mean, it's just, it's just awesome. It's amazing news. It really is. No, and I'm I'm uh, especially with a child on the way. I'm hopeful for that continuing on. My uh, yeah, I mean the due date is, have, is have, have like my... this week, right? The What's due that? date is like this week, right? No, it's no, it's it's uh, it's like six weeks. Oh, okay. Out. It's uh, end of, end of April. Okay. April for some 29th. reason, I thought it was mid March. So. I I was wrong. No, all good, but but, but my in-laws have both had it now. I think actually my father-in-law's awaiting his second dose. My mom has had it. My dad has not yet, but is hopeful he'll get it. And it matters to them being able to to travel up here and feeling comfortable doing that and being able to meet their grandkids. Totally. So, um, you know, for for plenty of reasons, you know, I I want it widely accessible. Hundred percent. I'm right there with you. Um, what's your interest in of the week? So my interesting of the week is something that I'm finding interesting, but don't still yet know a ton about. Yeah. And that is the the new craze of the non-fungible token NBA Top Shot. NFT, baby. Um, NFTs, which essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, are basically just digital pieces of art or, um, or whatever, digital pieces of 
digitization. <laughs> um, but, es- <laughs> but essentially, um, I- I've been following – for those people who have no idea what I'm talking about, um, which includes myself, there is and me. This, new, this new community called NBA Top Shot. And basically, I'll try to boil it down as best as I can understand it, and that is that like – it seems like it's like collecting sports cards. Like you would get like a packs of tops or Donruss or whatever. But instead of getting an actual pack of cards, you're getting a digital pack of cards. And in that digital pack of cards, there are, uh, you get, instead of like a picture of the person with their stats on the back, you actually get a little video highlight, which they call a moment. Which actually happened in an NBA game. Which, yeah, it's, it's a moment that happened in an NBA game. So rather than taking a, a snapshot of a still photo of them in an NBA game, it's like them hitting a jumper or it's them, you know, dunking. Or, it's just a highlight. Uh, or or it, it, it's, a, it's a short 15, 13 second highlight with a little bit of music behind it. Um, with a little bit of a graphic package certain, on Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it's, I guess you could like, you know, put it in a digital frame if you wanted, but basically it's a digital collectible. And uh, I, I've now seen this happening all over the internet with other things, not this card community, but this product of uh, NFT art going for just astronomical sums. Yeah, of this money. artist Beeple um, got what, like some five million dollars or yeah. something. Oh, millions and millions. And I don't, yeah, I, I don't even know anything about this Beeple. I've been uh, following him on Instagram Beeple for yourselves. a little bit now. Yeah. Okay. But I'm interested to see – my interest from this stems from like I I didn't really even realize until maybe the last year or two that the trading card industry seemed like it was kind of back or was – there's a renewed interest in those collectibles. And I like to open up those packs when I was a little kid and I like sorted them in a binder and stuff like that with my my baseball cards. But um, I've never been big on the idea of collecting – um, just for the sake of collecting. And, and so I, this ordinarily would be kind of out of my wheelhouse, but I'm like, you know, it seems like a place where people are now taking these moments and they're flipping it for, for considerable cash, depending on who the player is, depending on what the play is like, um, and, and how, and how rare or scarce, um, that moment is. Well, oh boy, when you talk about some of the money involved, that got me really interested. And, uh, in my very first pack, I got an Anthony Davis dunk, and I went like, well, what does that mean? Like, I mean, so, no, what does it mean? Hold, hold on, stop here. Dunk. So how did you yes. get a pack? Did you, like, enter the sort of lottery thing that, that they did? Yes. So, like, uh, if, if anyone's familiar with, like, the sneakers app where they, like, you know, sne- a certain number of sneakers drop, and if you get, like, you know, the lucky, um, essentially randomized email that says, like, you get one of these pairs, then, like, great, good for you. But basically, they... They have these like out and they're not hourly, but they'll announce when there's going to be a drop or essentially when packs will be available to purchase. Um, And then you get on their website and you click join and you have to have a profile, um, which is very simple. You can log in with your Google account. Um, You can log in with a Facebook account. There's plenty of ways that you can do it. Um, But then they just randomly assign you a position line with everyone else who has clicked that same button. And so actually I tried to join a drop today that was for 25,000 packs. And I was like, I was like number 32,000 in line. So I I didn't get a pack. Um, but there were like 80,000 people who were trying to get one. And, um, and so I've only, I've, I've done this a couple times, but I've only purchased two packs, but in one of them, I got an Anthony Davis dunk and the, the pack total cost $14. 
came with these three moments in it. Well, I went out to the marketplace and you see what people are selling them for, or at least what they're listing them for, almost like a Craigslist for cards or an mm -hmm. eBay. Um, and I went on there and people were selling for hundreds or thousands of dollars, this dunk that I had. So I said, screw it. Let me see if I can flip it. And lo and behold, I sold my Anthony Davis dunk for $333. Well done. And, uh, and I don't know if I'll look back a year from now or 10 years from now and think, wow, that was really dumb because this is worth thousands. But I don't know. I don't know if it's just a craze, if it's like a, you know, Pokemon or Magic the Gathering that's going to spike I and go, go back. away forever. You know what it reminds me actually... of, Ryan? I go back What's way that? farther. Remember the uh, Garbage Pail Kids craze? <laughs> I mean, vaguely, but yes. It was like this, but with physical cards. Yeah, there's yeah. this thing called yeah. so like these little cartoons gonna... called Garbage Pail Kids, and and you you would like go to Seven yeah. Eleven, and there would be like a line out the door, and there's only forty packs or whatever, and there's a hundred people in line. Same same thing, mm -hmm. but yeah, just in nineteen eighty five. Same thing with with a, a fresher, <laughs> newer generation. But you're absolutely yeah. right. And without so, yeah, I've been following this a little bit too. I have not tried to get on and get myself a pack. Um, but outside of that, I just, I've been reading up on it. I, I do find the whole thing interesting, uh, a little bit, it's a little hard, if not very hard to understand sort of all of what's going on. I guess I'll add two things. I think it's hard to understand the value or why they are valuable. Yeah, but... It's a commodity, I guess, you know, and, and it's a mm -hmm. trend, but the, the thing that's kind of cool about it, you know, it all exists, all of these NFTs are existing on you know, what, this thing that everybody's heard, but few people I think can, uh, can explain something called a blockchain. And, mm -hmm. and which is, you know, where all of this Bitcoin and, and everything else is being stored. And the, the blockchain sort of allows this digital ledger to, to show everybody who's ever owned it. So if you're an artist, you can create, you know, this digital art. And if you're the original artist and, and sell it, and it can be sold, you know, 500,000 times. And the original artist can, depending on how they set it up originally, will always get, you know, a fraction of the sale. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of cool. And then there's also sort of a, a ledger on this blockchain of every, of every buy and sell of whatever this... Uh, yeah, uh, a, a record of a the record of the transaction. So that part of it is kind of cool too. It all runs on something called Ethereum, which is this other sort of cryptocurrency thing. And you know, you talk about money, Ryan. I'm looking at it now. Ethereum is up in a year. In the last year, Ethereum is up one thousand four hundred and thirty-three percent. So how's mm -hmm. that for an investment? Um, well, and Bitcoin's up 979%. It, it is. So, but Ethereum is up <laughs> almost double that. So all mm -hmm. of these NFTs are running on Ethereum. So, you know, th this whole craze of NFTs has helped boost the price of Ethereum. I can't really explain to you what Ethereum is, but I know that these NFTs are, are running on it. That's sort of, I guess, the, the element, I guess, for lack of a better word, that's running this particular... It's yeah. kind of like, almost like, I don't want to say the server, but it's like the backbone of these okay. NFTs, kind yeah. of. Um, at least, I, it, that's my understanding. They use the Ethereum blockchain to be able to... Right, but you can go... Create, manage... You know, anybody can go on Coinbase and buy some Ethereum or buy Bitcoin or buy mm -hmm. any hundreds of other 
cryptocurrencies. And it's all part, you know, NFTs are just sort of an offshoot of this. And I suspect there's going to be a whole lot more where that came from in the coming months and, and years. In fact, I think that the I, I, I've heard that the NFLPA has seen just how hot Top Shot is in the NBA. And, have, and they've essentially said, all right, we got to figure out a way to make this happen by the time the season right. gets here because we're missing out on something. Yeah, different. and I think that that's going to happen. The other thing I predict is going to happen uh, with these, with at least the sports side of it, is I think the production value of the actual highlight packages is going to go way up. I mean, right now, yeah. the, the few that I've seen, it's nothing special. I mean, it's just... It's very basic. Very basic. It's, like, it's clean melt video. Yeah, you know? it's just like a quick little highlight, you know, that back in the day, you know, would be like sort of pedestrian quality highlight mm-hmm. on Sports Center or SportsNet Central. They've left a lot of room for growth. For yeah, themselves. so I think that, sure. that the production value on those is going to go way, way up. And I saw today, you know, of course, porn stars are now getting in on the NFT, but I think that sort of every industry where there's a lot of interest is going to at least try to get in on yeah. these crates. I mean, they, they'd kind of be stupid not to. Prediction, MLB will be the last to jump in. Uh, I think you're probably <laughs> right about that. Yeah. Um, okay, my interesting of the week. I was going to talk about MLB. We're about two weeks from opening day. I'm looking forward to that, but, um, you know, in as much as I say I want things to open up, I mean, we've still been, you know, kind of keeping our distance from most things. We've been going out a little more. I mean, we've gone out to eat a little bit more here and there. But, you know, I'm still at home a lot, particularly on the weekends if it's not nice weather. And I've just been into watching the PGA Tour and NASCAR here before, before mm-hmm. MLB gets going. So that's my interest in the week. Just a quick note on both. I think that the I've been watching a fair amount yeah, as well. I think both. the PGA Tour's been awesome. Uh, the players yes. this past Sunday was incredible. You know, Justin Thomas fires I think a 64 on Saturday and then has a great final round on Sunday. You know, he's been under a lot of duress, some of which was by his own making, some of it not. Now, he's my favorite golfer. I really like him. I just really admire. I think he's a great guy, despite the mistake he made on the green out there in Hawaii, You know, which was just really an, an unfortunate circumstance for him. But I think he's a great guy. He's a great player. I love to watch him play. I was happy for him to win. But I'm into Bryson DeChambeau, man. This guy is incredibly <laughs> entertaining. I mean, we've talked about him. Before, you know, how he beefed up during this quarantine a year ago, and he hits it farther than anybody on the tour ever has. And and he seems to be a very, uh, you know, a lightning rod for opinion. I generally like him. I mean, he does some stuff that I think is a little cheap in terms of trying to, like, finagle the rules here and there. But it, it's... Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah he, he, he... But you know what? Phil Mickelson has that in his bag, too. It's not nearly... I hear uh, comparisons to, of him... To Patrick Reed, and I don't think that's fair. I, I think that Patrick I Reed that is in a completely different boat. Um, I like DeChambeau. I really wa- like watching him play, but I was intrigued the last two weeks by Lee Westwood and his girlfriend, Caddy. I thought that was a really cool story. 
And I just think that the PGA tournament is uh, or PGA tournament. The PGA tour has been awesome. And we're getting we're coming up on the Masters here. And I'm really excited for it. So, I mean, I, I've been into the golf. I've also been into the NASCAR. The NASCAR isn't nearly as exciting. But my two boys are really into the NASCAR. They were kind of into it last year when it was the first sport to come back during the pandemic. But now, I mean, we watched the last 50 to 100 laps together every Sunday. And it's just a fun thing. You know, they've got their little matchbox cars, and they race them around mm -hmm. the living room as we watch the race. And so the, the Richmond race is coming up the weekend of April the 17th, and the governor decided that they were going to let 1,000 fans in the track, which is you know, you talk about these restrictions. To me, that's a joke. I mean, a thousand fans in a you know what could hold a hundred thousand seat stadium, like, and there's nothing but space. Nothing out but there. space. It's outside, like. But we were one of the lucky thousand, so we got tickets to the race. So we're really looking forward to that coming up here in about a month. But uh, you know, just it's been a fun thing to share with my little boys, NASCAR, and and, and again. In all, in all honesty, I think the races really aren't that exciting. The Daytona road course, which was new this year, that was pretty mm -hmm. exciting. The rest of them have kind of sucked. But my kids like it, so I'm in. You know, I'm not going to pass that up. It's been great. So those are my two interestings of the week. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've been, and I think I've, I've been on record on our show here, is saying that ever since I started playing a lot more golf, I've been a lot more of an avid golf watcher. And not from the standpoint of, feeling like I need to see all these tournaments, but like when it's being played, I just want to observe it. And I want to understand more about these guys swings and also about their personalities. And, and Bryson is a guy that is unequivocally good for the game of golf because he's different. He takes a completely different approach. I think that the fact that he is a lightning rod for some criticism and some controversy from time to time is actually good because then people who give a shit are talking about the game and, just like and, we and are it opens now. us just like we are right <laughs> yeah. now. And so, you know, I, I, I think that it's fun to see if other people will try to follow suit. It's fun to see if the tour will try to, you know, fight against it with some of the, the rules and ways they set up courses and things like that. And uh, but I've just been I, I really enjoy watching some of the guys who are, you know, the top 10, top 15 in the yeah. world. Um, I mean, even going back, you know, two weeks ago now to like Riviera and, uh, you know, the the finish between Tony Finau and, you um, and now the kids, uh, the kids' name is escaping me. But uh, Matt, Max Homa. Max oh, Homa! It was Homa, and then Morikaya the next week. Right, correct. But uh, but it's just, I mean, th there have been some, there's been some playoffs. There have been some really low scores. Some really some really great rounds. Uh, there's a ton of guy, great guys players out just, there, man. There, there. It seems like golf is as deep as it ever has been. Like sometimes there'll be complaints that just, certain sports just aren't as deep as they used to be. Not the case with golf. There are so much talent out there. Totally and then uh, from the NASCAR standpoint, I haven't been watching it as, as closely, but I've, I've enjoyed it. And I do think that Day Daytona road course was good. I think that we've gotten uh, a handful of decent finishes, at least. And we've had some surprise winners. Good I mean, point. Chris Bell, I wasn't expecting. Michael McDowell uh, to won the victory. Daytona 500. Michael McDowell. Yeah, five. Uh, five yeah, so I, mean, I think we're five weeks in now. We've had five different winners. And up until this past week with Truex, I don't think any of them had won a race last year. So that that's good for the sport too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I, I think that at least at this point in the in the season, the more the more you have guys who people don't know winning and the, and you have guys who people expect to win needing wins later, the better. Totally agree. Um, okay. Do you have a wild card? 
Ooh, well, I, my my wild card was going to be um, something kind of gambling related, and I, I can't remember if we've done either one of these before. So you might have to check me. Um, what is your most memorable, like non, not your team, but like just a March Madness moment that or bet that really stands out to you. It could be a bad beat. It could be a great win or just like you'll always remember where you were at the certain moment that a certain play occurred. Because I find with March Madness, especially the way that, you know, we kind of, I'm sure grew up both watching with our friends, then with our college buddies, then going to, to bars to watch with, you know, colleagues and things like that, that, that there are, I have so many awesome March Madness memories and I'm sure you do too, but which ones really stand yeah, out? Yeah, this is you? a good question. And this was going to be my wild card for you. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I've been really lucky to have been able to attend, attend quite a few March Madnesses, you know, tournament events. And I'll take, you know, Syracuse out of it as, as you requested. Probably the one that rings loudest in my ears was actually in the same city where I'm living now in Richmond, Virginia. I was a senior in high school. It was the first time I ever got to go to the tournament. My dad and my uncle and I came up for the for the big dance, and it was the first and second rounds, and we got to see Allen Iverson play. But not that game. It was a, a, a round of 32 game between Texas Tech and North Carolina where Darvin Ham broke the backboard on a put-back dunk. I don't oh, – yeah, yeah, I was at that. Oh, yeah, game. I know that highlight. Um, wow. So that was incredible. Um, that was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and that's probably the one – that rings most vividly in my mind. And I'll just throw another mm -hmm. one out there quickly that I was at um, in Nashville that I went to. Uh, Drew Nicholas of Maryland, the year after they had mm -hmm. won the national championship, he hit a mm -hmm. true, like almost like deep three buzzer beater to uh, avoid an upset at the hands of UNC Greensboro. I was at that game as well. Both were just fucking amazing. Um, how about you? Those are both outstanding. Um, I, I've got a couple. I, I kind of I feel like my first like real crazy March Madness upset um, memory was just being a kid. And I, I was I think I was in middle school at the time, and I convinced a teacher to let us watch the end of a game because I had seen on a computer that a game was close or so, something along yeah. those lines. And we saw Hampton beat Iowa I State. I remember that. Um, and so um, I'm not, I don't even remember what year that was, but I still I still have the, the just the, the vivid image in my head of the coach being held up from behind and kicking his legs and arms out. Um, and then so so that one jumps out to me uh, when I was in college, Northern Iowa beat uh, beat Kansas as the number one. And I, I still remember the kid's name, Ali Farouk Manesh, who took just this ballsy three when he had like we he basically should have been running the clock out. And instead he launched a three and it was just an absolute dagger. But what I remember about it is I had a midterm that day for like, it was, it was something that like fit a gen ed requirement. It was like Japanese literature or something like that. So I'm finishing this midterm as fast as I can so I can just go watch basketball with the boys. And I remember like leaving my midterm and stopping to watch in the window of the bar as this kid was, you know, hitting these threes. Um, and then, uh, you know, a couple times we spent uh, many a long tournament day at Kizar's Pub in San Francisco. And I believe one of those, and I, I think you and I were together for this, was when Mercer That's beat correct. Dick. And uh, I still remember the, the little white kid doing the, the nay-nay on the court afterwards and all his, all his buddies uh, 
dancing around him or whatnot. And uh, and so those are, I, I think, probably uh, at least a, a close to a top three for me. Yeah, so I mean, I could, you know, I could come up with fifty great March Myers. Yeah, I know, right? Right now, but I won't bore the viewers. So I'll end on this. We were talking about NASCAR, and I was just kind of looking through Twitter as you were talking about Mercer beating Duke. And here's Kyle Busch on Twitter at Denny Hamlin. I greatly dislike you. Have all year. We're feuding, and it's getting worse by the week. Just wanted you to be aware. <laughs> <laughs> a public declaration of feud. how great is that? Okay. I mean, talk about why. Good, what, so, good so for you, the you sport. Might have to t- fill, you you had to fill me in on what the what the genesis of this know. is. What is the beef? I, I, hmm. And this was Kyle or Kurt? No, Kyle? yeah, Kyle. Uh, telling that to Denny Hamlin, he must be huh. joking. They're teammates on Gibbs. Oh, that's so. Then it's got to be maybe a joke. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I'm not sure. I need to dive in a little bit more on this because that is that is good stuff. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I hope I hope you get to enjoy the madness despite you know having a job and and an almost uh, ready to ha- have a baby wife. You know, I hope you get to settle down with a couple cold ones this weekend and and really get into some madness. Oh, I'm 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 sure we'll find a way. It's a tough job, but somehow we'll manage. Don't listen to the governor. Do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Sleep tight. <laughs> Good night, y'all. <laughs>